sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Woohoo! Yes, we are back on the air still, uh, separated safely by 30 miles. Some good social distancing here. <laughs> we're, we're taking six feet and multiplying that by <laughs> You engineers can do the math because I'm not going <laughs> to. Which, which, by the way, my, my stupid meat thermometer. Yesterday, I was, I was making shish kebabs. Yeah. Uh, and I was checking my chicken. And uh-huh. somehow it got changed to you, Celsius. You were choking your, your checking I your chicken. I'm sorry. Go I ahead. I wasn't choking my uh, chicken okay. on okay. the porch. I was checking my chicken, <laughs> but my meat thermometer got changed to Celsius. And man, what an American I felt like as I'm googling. <laughs> like, darn it, what what's 165 Celsius? <laughs> it was really frustrating. So, anyways, oh, I, I don't know what. 30 miles is but it's way more than six feet so we're we're doing our due diligence and and you know this is the first day we live in the great state of tennessee both of us now and uh the governor has taken steps to at least in the counties that you and i live in to relax the uh, stay-at-home orders oh i don't watch the news what's happened what's 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 going on yeah, so you know the restaurants are allowed to reopen, the hair salons, the gyms. Uh, gyms, I, got, I can go back to the jujitsu gym. This is so exciting. <laughs> I don't more. know that you. I I don't know that you can go to a wrestling gym because oh. you still have to do social distancing. I, you gym. know what? The second I said that, I thought, yeah, I guess people can be on treadmills and workout machines. That's different different than being wrapped in someone's legs and chest to chest and face to face. All right. I, but I will tell you this, you know, I noticed uh, as I walked downtown in the early hours this morning and uh, once, you know, I, I wasn't walking with my, I, I, I was having my Monday morning conversation with my Monday morning friend, but he was still in his neighborhood and I was in mine and we were talking by the telephone. And uh, I, you know what? There wasn't a lot of traffic. It didn't seem like a typical Monday morning. Uh, the restaurants are open, but yeah, far from busy. I noticed that there was outside of one restaurant, a television crew was set up and they were quite disappointed because they were waiting for people to arrive, uh, to show on the news. And there wasn't, I think it was one old couple sitting in the restaurant. Well, I, I know son Samuel has two shifts at work this at the week pub. at the pub okay. because they're only letting people sit every other table. Yep. So I, I appreciate that everybody's taking it slow. I mean, there's no reason to just jump back into it, or maybe there is. I don't know. I, I have no opinion. I don't care. Yeah. I'm going I, th- to I think you're in Franklin. I think we're going to have... Yeah, we're going to have two two uh, Samson meetings tonight in Franklin. I think that there will be a face to face meeting for oh, a few hearty wow. souls, and then there will also be um, our online meeting, which will be uh, which will be much better. Att- and speaking of online meetings, mm-hmm. holy smokes, Aaron, those are blowing up. Uh, we're starting to kind of stretch the limits of some of these meetings, like thirty five guys in the. Uh, Saturday morning full Irish breakfast meeting online. Wait, what? The full Irish breakfast meeting? I have yeah. not heard that phrase. Oh yeah, say yeah, these meetings. Well, what a cool thing! If you get if you start your own meeting, and by the way, any member of Samson is fully authorized to start a meeting. That's part of the uh, you know that's part of the pact. One of the if you if you start a meeting, you get to name the meeting. So we got some great names for these online meetings. So I like full Irish breakfast. I like the case of the Mondays. Uh, mine is the, uh, my regular online meeting is the nick of time meeting on Thursdays. Uh, we do need uh, Samson guys, more Samson guys to step up to host meetings. You're fully authorized to do it, but we're going to have to have more meetings. And one of the main, re- it's not just that more and more newcomers are coming and they are coming now at about three times the rate they were uh, before, uh, uh, before the pandemic three or four times. I mean, astonishing. But this week, Covenant Eyes is going to open the tap. They're going to start referring in our direction. Uh, Everybody who signs up for their service who does not have an accountability partner, an ally, uh, 
And that is 40 or 50 guys a day. So they we, will... we need people who can run meetings. Yeah. And it's... Now, so how have pitched this to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying, Nate, I, I don't, I'm not a leader and I don't, I'm not tech savvy. Uh, I mean, I'd like to help with, yeah. with getting other guys involved, but I can't be a leader. Okay, go. Yeah. Okay. Well, the we like to say in the local meetings that anybody who can read can lead. And uh, actually the online meeting, the standard online meeting follows just like the local meeting. So there is a, a script that you follow. If you have be, if you have done any zooming in the last six weeks, as most of us have, uh, then all you need is a little bit of instruction for how to run that meeting format off the Samson site uh, together with Zoom. Uh, it oh. just takes a little bit of instruction, and there's a video that'll teach you how to do it. And if, okay, so Zooming—that is yep. the—that's the platform. Yep. So you just have to be faithful. So you're mm-hmm. going to show up at the time a few minutes early. Yep. And you're going to click on something, open the meeting up. Yeah. And once you know how to open the meeting, you're going to read from the script, click a few buttons to separate people into groups and bring them back. And that's it. Right. That's it. Yeah, that's right. You're at the controls. You have to do a little bit more as a host, uh, like at introductions. In a local meeting, we sit in a circle and we just go around the circle and introduce ourselves. In an online meeting, there isn't a circle. So as the host, during introductions, you're just going to have to call on each person in turn. Uh, but that's, you know, that's that's not tough. Yeah, and it helps. Their you names get to, are listed. You don't have their to names are their listed name. right there. Sure. Exactly. You just let them know that it's their turn to do the introduction. And you're the guy who's going to push the button to send them into breakout rooms. But all that is automated, too. You just push the button. That's right. I keep so, track of the time. And when it's time to call them back, you're the one who's going to call them back. So if somebody has gone to, say, 15 online meetings, do you think they're capable of learning this? Oh, certainly. Well, if they've gone to five, if they've if they've gone to three, I don't care. If um, you've gone to a Buddhist monastery, right? <laughs> if if you're a Girl Scout in roller skates, I don't know. It's getting get smart no, now. I no. Don't know. no, no, you can't be the Girl Scout. But if one has come to your door, you can lead a meeting. <laughs> now, there's a there's another place where we need people and. You know this, Aaron, because you have been in the Samson Society for all low these many years. Uh, the importance of the Silas relationship. Everybody needs a Silas. Anybody can be a Silas. And you have experienced kind of the step up that you take in your recovery when you get out of focusing just on your own recovery and you take a little bit of time each day to listen to somebody else and focus yeah, uh, some of your attention on somebody else's life to serve somebody else as a traveling companion. Um, so it's a, it helps our recovery to help somebody else's recovery. That's the heart of the whole thing. Um, in order to facilitate Silas relationships, what we found is that a lot of the newcomers, we tell them, look, we give them the speech. You need to get a Silas. They start going to meetings, they get into the newcomer meetings, and then it starts to look like a junior high dance where everybody's too nervous to approach somebody else and ask what they'd be a temporary Silas. What and, do you uh, temporary Silas? Let us explain. Yeah. So temporary Silas, you just say, that's just you're going to start walking with a guy. So would you be a temporary Silas? Would you walk with me, say, for four weeks? Yeah. You're not going to marry him. You just want to make out. I get it. <laughs> No, oh, no, sorry. but you, but you do want to, but you do want to start to develop the discipline of sharing with another person in real time, what's going on in your life, hmm. what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're doing and what you're thinking of doing. It's a spiritual discipline. That very act is an act of surrender and submission that I can't run my life very well, just on my own. I'm part of a body. And, um, and, and so the, I surrender to Christ by surrendering to the body of Christ. And I make that in a, uh, in a concrete way by making a phone call or sending a text or getting on zoom or 
right. meeting and a guy at the coffee shop and talking with another person. The big reason that there is even the potential of a temporary Silas is it's it's based on you, not them. You're not picking a sage right. that knows all the answers. You're picking right. a person who's willing to hear you say the answer to those four questions. What am I right. thinking? Yeah. What yeah. am I feeling? What am I doing? And what am I thinking of doing? So you don't need the sage. You just need someone who's willing to be that person. And then when you find a permanent site or not even permanent, but a, a longer term Silas, where you tell your whole story, then you keep that discipline and give a little more fleshed out version of where you're coming from, what you've experienced. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, as I always tell the newcomers, you know, that first Silas, he's not an expert, any size, not an expert. He's another idiot like you. But when it comes to your life, he has an advantage. He's not in it. He has a perspective on your life that you don't have. That's so, so great. Okay. <laughs> advantages. He's not in your life. That's right. So he's the guy who's just simply going to ask the questions you tend to avoid. Remember the things you tend to forget. Maybe notice the patterns that you don't see. And, and probably the key thing, the most important thing he's going to do for you is he's going to remind you who you really are. And that conversation helps him at least as much as it helps you. Because he needs to get out of his own life and focus on somebody else and you're giving him the privilege of doing it. So all that to say, Samson House has rolled out this week to newcomers this whole new thing, the capacity, there's a whole new ability now on the Samson website where newcomers can be paired with a temporary Silas. That newcomer actually tells a bit of his story to the camera, to a video, to a, to a confidential video. Wow, that's awesome. That then goes to somebody who has signed up to be an available temporary Silas. That person can then, uh, you know, accept or uh, pass on the assignment. And then, and they'll agree just to walk with that guy for four weeks. Now, and, and maybe uh, more. Yeah, and maybe the, more. The commitment is for four weeks. Yeah. So we, you know, we sent out a selected uh, email to uh, virtual guys, to a few guys, and we got we had twenty got twenty six guys sign up to be an available temporary Silas. Twenty six guys said they would do it. And the way it's set up right now, each of those available guys is going to be, he's going to be, a, he's going to accept a relationship with one guy that he's going to walk with for four weeks. Well, here's a problem. We're two days into the program and already 11 of those guys uh, have matched up with a newcomer. So we, uh, all right, we're so going to run out of here, available temporary silence real question fast. Here's the answer. What does a guy need to believe he can do or be to be a temporary Silas? If you don't have someone that is uh, you're being a Silas for, how would they know if they're qualified of these listeners to say, I could be a temporary Silas? If you feel unqualified, that's the first qualification. So if you think you know it all, don't please, do it. Please <laughs> Go to the any of number number of churches that want people that think they know it all. That's right, exactly. You're not there to be an expert. You're there to be a friend. You're there to listen. You're there to reflect. You're there to accompany. So the guy's not freaking alone. That's all. And any we can all do it, and we all need to do it. This is doable. You mm -hmm. don't have to be an expert. I like it. Um. Man, these I'm going to get a. I'm going. I tell you what, let's do this. I, Aaron, I will send to you. I'll get from Tom and send to you a link for guys to sign up to be an available uh, pirate monk, and we'll put that in the show notes. I can do that. I can copy and paste like the best of them. All right. Okay. And for those, by the way, if you get this on iTunes and you go, where? How the, do I get to the show notes? Uh, you can get to the show notes by going to Samson Society podbean.com p-o-d-b-e-a-n podbean.com well, and well geez i put this stuff together i didn't even know that but all right <laughs> <Groovy>. <laughs> hey we got a great 
guest that we have not chatted with since 2010. I looked up the last episode, so I'm like, okay, he's going to be on the show. I know we chatted with him not too long ago. I kept <laughs> yeah. clicking back older and older episodes. Episode 35 in 2010 wow. was the last time we talked to our guest, and I just was tickled. Oh, that's great. I don't think I've said that for a while or ever. I was tickled by the fact that there were some themes that I listened to about, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes of that episode. And he took that over the next decade to some depths that I am so excited to participate with in reading what he's written. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Stay with us. You are not going to want to miss this conversation. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. If you are wounded And if you're alone If you are angry If your heart is cold as stone If you have fallen And if you are weak Find the worth of God that only the suffering seek. Come lift up your sorrows and offer your pain. Come make a sacrifice of all your shame. Waiting for you to worship him with your wounds, for he's wounded too. Well, welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast, and what a privilege it is to welcome to the show none other than uh, Michael Card. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Nate. Nice to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, I am quite certain that your name is familiar to most of our audience. You've been around for a long time. Uh, let me see. What did I see? I, I think I think he just called you old. You've <laughs> been around for a really long time. Well, you have been around for a long time is the reason why people don't know your name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you don't know Michael Card, you... Uh, have been in, and been in church for any length of time. You know his music. You've heard uh, songs like El Shaddai. At, what is it? Thirty albums now, Michael. Six albums and twenty-seven books. Four hundred and fifty songs. That's the count so far. Oh man! Yeah, I'm, uh, I think I'm done. I think I'm I'm done with songs <laughs> anyway. I'm not done with books, but I'm, I'm I think I'm done with writing music. Yeah. Um, it, I've got to tell you, the first of your writing that I ever encountered was a forward that you did for Brennan Manning's uh, Ragamuffin Gospel. Uh-huh. And uh, I gathered that you and Brennan were friends? We were. We, uh, yeah. toured, we toured together for a while, and he was, uh, yeah, he was a sweet man. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say uh, the first book I got of yours was for Christmas at some point. What was it? The, the Scribbling in the Sand? Scribbles yeah. in the Sand? Yep. So there, there you go. That was my first encounter. I don't think I knew of your music, but I got that for Christmas. So thanks. I th well, I, thanks to whatever insightful good person with good taste that gave it to you. I believe it was <laughs> it was my mommy. There you go. <laughs> well, um, your latest book, uh, I believe it's your latest book, one that you say it took ten years for you to write. Uh, is inexpressible. Yes. Hesed and the mystery of God's loving kindness. Yeah. And what a captivating, masterful book it Thank is. You. Yeah. So you read uh, my book, Nate. I did. Wow. Uh, but but I uh, haven't. So who is this woman Hesed that was writing about <laughs> God's loving kindness? Explain this woman to me. <laughs> 
uh, you know, there's no way we can do justice to the book in, in a 30 minute interview. You've just got to read it. Yeah. And it's well worth the investment and well worth the time because we're talking about plumbing the depths of this word that appears. How, oh, I'm sure Michael can tell us how many times in the Bible. But 250 <laughs> times in the Hebrew Bible. Okay, yeah, but before yeah. you get to that, and I think it's a good precursor, why did it take you 10 years? Was this the longest like maturation process you've had with the book? Please yeah, say yes. It, okay, good. I, I had to I had to stop at so many different points and and uh, educate myself. I, I I start working on this word, and I come to find out I don't understand how words work, how <laughs> yeah. language works. So that's six months of you know the most boring articles. It, it's interesting that a linguist write the most boring books. People who do <laughs> language, you would think. <laughs> Would write good book, you know, easy to read books. They the worst, most unreadable books. So, six months of that, and then uh, catching, doing a lot of catch, catching up in Hebrew, and um, and then just going through the literature. Lots, a lot has been written about um, about this. Uh, not not a lot of books, but a lot of articles have been written about this word. So, why is it you didn't feel like mm. you could just uh, you know take your first thoughts about why you wanted to write the book and just do it and forget all of that? That's like, not that, that's not how I work. I I, I I hate the writing process, but I love the process of getting ready to write. And I make uh, I drag that out as long as I possibly can, just, <laughs> just because of enjoyment or because you think it's important. Well, if I was a better person, I would do it because I think it's important. I just like doing it. I like studying. Um, I like answering uh, or I like asking sort of different different questions and and then and then going and work, working on the answer, seeing if anyone else has asked the question and then um, and so, a lot of times they have and then uh, then doing the work. I'm I'm, wor- I'm 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 writing a book now on the details on the life of Jesus and I'm running down all kinds of details that uh, I, th- I think are important that we that most people don't know. Certainly, I don't know. So why this word? Um, I, I had done some work in uh, Lament in the Hebrew, uh, uh, the, the Hebrew Bible. Uh, I think Lament is a, is a huge area of Scripture that American Christians know virtually nothing about. They don't even know they can lament. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, two of the most important, uh, every lament transitions. Uh, it's all worship, but at one point, uh, lament, 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 and there's a transition, usually with the Hebrew letter vav, which means and or but, and then it becomes worship. And, and every one of the laments in the in the uh, Hebrew Bible does it except one. Psalm 88 laments all the way to the end. It doesn't transition, but otherwise they, they all transition. And two of the most important Psalms transition uh, with the word hesed. And... Um, that's what got me onto that word. So, so you're talking about like Psalm 22, how long, O Lord, will you forgive me forever kind of language. And then at the end, it's, but I will trust in your unfailing love. Yeah. I feel like this was what 2010 was the last time we had this conversation. And I think we talked a lot about this kind of a thing. So yeah, that, that was the beginning of making it even more clear. But that's yeah, the kind I, of transition I've been, I've been, you're talking about. I've got it tattooed on me, okay? That's how serious I am about this. <laughs> and at one point, although it's impossible, really, and you, I love the way you open the book talking about words uh-huh. and language, the limitations of language, uh, but you have to come up with some sort of a definition. Yeah. And I love the way you put it. When the person from whom... Uh, I had the right to uh, expect nothing gives me everything. Or I exa- how, exactly how do you phrase it? That's a yeah, that's yeah. That's, uh, th- this word in uh, six different English translation. This word is translated 169 different ways, mm. uh, and usually you with multiple words. It usually take if if you're reading a you know um, loving kindness was invented. That word was invented in 1535 by Miles Coverdale to try to translate the word hesed. He couldn't, he didn't know what, he didn't know what to do. So he invented the word loving kindness. Did you, did, um, did you just say 169 different 100, ways? Right. If you look in the book, there's a list 
yeah. it's loyalty, it's kindness, it's um, uh, mercy, it's grace. It's it's translated all all sorts of different ways because it's 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 such it has a huge range of me- meaning. I, I I'd like to make the case that. It has the the greatest range of meaning of any word in the Hebrew Bible, which is saying a lot because Hebrew, you know, uh, is known for that. Right. Um, But yeah, my translation is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything, not a second chance, but everything. Yeah. 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 And this is something that every Christian addict needs to hear. It's uh, uh, how... Um, how difficult it is sometimes to believe that the essential character of God yes. is um, this this boundless mercy. Although there is, a, you know, that hopes for reciprocity, yes. but it's not given, uh, you know, with the understanding that I am going to respond in a certain way. It's not part of a covenant. Um, and to believe that that's really who God is. Well, the way the way I do it, Nate, I stand in front of the cross and I say to Jesus, uh, I have no right to expect anything from you. I nailed you there. Yeah. And yet, what do I get? I get everything. Hmm. Not a second chance. You know, that I hate that, you know, he's the God of oh. chances. He's the God of more chances than you can possibly imagine. I think that's the whole discussion with Peter. How many times before I, give, I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus, yeah. um, Peter is trying to impress Jesus with that number. <laughs> so you're, you're saying God is not just the God of second chances, but possibly third and maybe fourth chances? <laughs> what What is this well, that you're trying to foist on he, us? I, he, he loves us more than we can possibly imagine. And it, and it comes, so it ends up being grace and mercy and loving kindness and loyalty and tenderness and uh, I, I don't have the list in front of me, but uh, you yeah. can go on and on and on. And at one point or another in the Hebrew Bible, that's the context tells you that this is part of the essential nature of God. When God defines himself to Moses in Exodus 34, he uses the word twice. He says yeah. he's full of hesed and he says he shows hesed to thousands. So it's God's word for defining himself. Mm. So uh, I know, Nate, I, I don't want to interrupt the flow of where you wanted to go with this, but I, I think because you got stopped, Michael, so many times with just the idea of words, uh, I struggle with words because I have a mind that is steeped in a Western culture Yes, that was built on Western philosophy. Yes. And so even if I get a good definition, it is still a good definition filtered through a bunch of philosophers and the way I apply words. Right. So how in the world do I capture the essence of something thousands of years old that is so broad and beautiful as this? Well, that's a good point. Um, We, without realizing it, we really think in Greek. Uh, Western Mm -hmm. people think uh, in in the same way, the, the, you know that whole Greek heritage. The answer is one thing, and this is the literal meaning of this word, and and yeah. uh, that sort of thing. And um, Jesus thinks in Hebrew, probably. I mean, he speaks Greek almost certainly. Uh, he speaks Aramaic and he speaks Hebrew in the synagogue, and 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 speaks Greek to people like Pilate and a Syrophoenician woman. But he thinks in Hebrew, and Hebrew people who think in Hebrew. Um, the answer is not one thing. Um, one of the best examples, I think, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, um, the the word, of course, we what we have is in Greek, um, and it's the word pneuma, which is the word for wind or spirit or mm-hmm. um, what it means, three or four different things. And the same thing happens with the Hebrew word ruach, which is almost certainly the word that Jesus used when they're talking together. And the point is, he, he means all three things at the same time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And we don't think like that. We think the answer is one thing. The answer is almost never one thing. And uh, for some people, that's that's a real game changer. So yeah. is this where it becomes problematic with like the, the hermeneutic, the, the interpreting of the Bible where the Hebrew thinking could incorporate different aspects like that, but yes. are 
hermeneutic must come to the one meaning. Right. There's a depth, I think, to Hebrew thought uh, that we think we're deeper because we're theological and sort of mathematic and, and uh, uh, we think we have this, we think we, we actually think we know what, what words mean. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the thing is, okay, so let me, let me ask you, what does the word key mean? K-E-Y, what does that word mean? And the answer is, you don't know until mm-hmm. I tell you the context. Is it the thing I open the door with it? Or with is it the the key to the song? Is it the key idea? Is it a, a low island? You know what 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 does that word mean? And so the meaning behind words is is more than in in our Greek thinking. Tell me what it literally means. Tell tell me the one thing that it literally means. That's just not how words work. Mm. But but yeah, even I love well, oh, before go you go to that. Yeah. Even with that thought though, the is there not a danger in thinking, oh, if I can grasp the concept, then I can get to the one thing it means, where the Hebrew still allowed for a broader understanding? I don't understand the question. So you're saying like the word key, if you say key and we get the concept, and and you can adjust my thinking on this, but uh, a lot of the more modern ways of understanding words in scripture is once I understand the context, well, then I can zero it down to this, this distilled meaning. Right. And yet in the Hebrew way of thinking you're talking about, it still allows for a, a bigger picture. Right. Would that be that's, correct? That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. yeah I love the point you make in, uh, you know, you, 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 you kind of track Hesed all the way through the Bible, through the, through the uh, you know the the Pentateuch, through the historical books, through mm-hmm. the prophets, through the Psalms, where it just dominates the Psalms. It does, um, and into the New Testament, uh, when you can hear it in the voice of Jesus, and then you make this point uh, of John and of Paul that they wrote in Greek, but they thought in Hebrew. Right. Right. So, so that very often, you know, I, I always, I in the more uh, nervous and legalistic churches that I encounter. Yes. Uh, Here we go. Here we go. Okay. When I bring up grace, yes, uh, they are quick to balance grace with truth. Right. Quick to put limits around it and and to pull out that phrase. Well, and that's that's a phrase that happens in the Hebrew Bible with Hesed. Uh, yeah. Hesed va'emet, grace and truth. Right. And yeah. uh, that's one of the things when, when God reveals himself to Moses, he says he's full of hesed vehement. He's full of grace and truth. And in John 1, was it one fourteen that what does Jesus, what does John say? Jesus is full of grace and truth. Yeah. And they, they do go together, but it's, it, it's not a thing that we, we fit into an equation and you, you, I don't know. It's just, uh, um, it's hard to put into language. Well, isn't, put isn't, into isn't there a problem right away when it's grace against truth? Like, well, we got grace yes. here, but we balance it because right. truth is the opposite of grace. That's that seems problematic yeah, from the start. Yeah, but it's great. It, truth isn't isn't the opposite of grace, right? Uh, yeah. That kind of a juxtaposition, I think, is again. That's you're thinking in Greek. Uh, mm-hmm. I think in the Hebrew mind, you would say no. Uh, truth comes from grace. You know, uh, uh, God. These these aren't op- opposing um, elements of God's character. They're they're uh, you, you know perfect unity in in God. And um, well, and, and the idea that Jesus said, uh, you know, I am the truth in John fourteen. Yeah, there, I mean, there is no truth apart from the person of Jesus. Right. Well, any any honest Greek thinking person. Um, when they hear Jesus positing himself as the answer to a question, if you're honest, you got to say he's out of his mind. That's what crazy people say. Yeah. You know, the, the, the uh, C.S. Lewis said, you know, it's on the, it's a, the, the same kind of person that's, you know, what thinks they're a fried egg or something. I'm sure they, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know that, you know that quote. Yeah. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. But, uh, no, the, but the truth is there's just so much more going on than behind the words. And, and, and again, I think that that dialogue with Jesus and Nicodemus is one of the really um, 
beautiful places where you see, you know, Jesus talking about the wind and he's talking about the spirit, but he's really talking about the same thing. And breath. Oh, that's that's the third word. He's talking about breath and wind and spirit, which are the same word. But mm-hmm. if you um, you can't translate it into English that way, it doesn't work. Yeah, we don't have a word that we don't have that word that means three things. But in Hebrew, you do. So yeah. uh, when I when I think and talk about it, I it, it, it gives a, I think it gives a depth. See, I think people would say. Uh, a, a working Hebrew vocabulary is about 500 words. For 500 word vocabulary, you can read 90% of the Hebrew Bible. A working Greek vocabulary is 10,000 words. And mm-hmm. we think, oh, well, then Greek's better. But I, I, the more I think about it, I go, no, uh, I can say a word in Hebrew that means 169 different things. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's only cool. If we can trust the Holy Spirit Spirit to lead us into truth, it's not yeah. cool if yeah. we want to figure it out for ourselves. Yes, it's not cool if we're going to try to reduce everything to theological statements or, um, uh, yeah, if we're going to reduce it to, to, to something like that. No, it's not cool. But but when you trust the fact that the Spirit breathes and reveals um, beyond words, and um, uh, the more the more I think about this, I think one of the things that Jesus, one of the confines of the incarnation, was he reduced himself to language. You know, mm-hmm. he had to re- he had to talk to us in in uh, in, in words. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and and he chose stories. Yes, yeah. to communicate. Yeah, and you can see Hesed. He's not making these theological pronouncements so much no. as you see Hesed portrayed in the stories, right? I mean, uh, I, w- I want to say virtually all, the majority of the parables are about Hesed, okay? The the the, the par- prodigal son, what is the father showing the prodigal son, right? What, what happened? <laughs> that boy has no right to expect anything. What does he get? He gets everything. He gets a ring and a robe and a, a yeah. half and a party and, and uh, it completely ticks his brother off. Um, <laughs> and there, there are people in the Bible who hate the fact that God is characterized by Hesed. Jo- Jonah is one. In fact, he uses the word uh, when, uh, when God, you know, you were going to give it to him. You were going to give it to him. You were going to give them that loving kindness. And he said, he said, I, 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 you know, he, he runs the other way and God says, why did you do that? He said, I knew you were a God of Hesed and I knew you'd forgive him. <laughs> Jonah, Jonah the racist prophet. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, well, we could talk all day about this, but I, I really, um, I, I just want to highly recommend the book to the readers. Uh, the Thank title you. is Inexpressible: Hesed and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness by Michael Card. Uh, Michael, I wonder if you could. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, uh, I know um, you have uh, this ongoing intellectual curiosity and you move from project to project. You've been spending a lot of time in Israel lately. Yes. Uh-huh. And, uh, and your, uh, uh, the, the object of your attention lately has been these details of the life of Jesus. Tell us yeah. a little bit, give us a preview of what's coming up in the next project. Yeah. Well, um, Thanks for asking that. Um, I have a friend there who's a, a, a rabbi who has a high tolerance for Christians. <laughs> his, his name is his name is Moshe, and so we're I, every time I'm there, I go see him, and uh, we're talking. To him, and he loves to talk about Jesus, and uh-huh. um, and I'm, I'm we're talking about well, is Jesus kosher or not? I go well, of course he's kosher. He goes to Israel. I mean, he goes to Jerusalem three times a, a year, and and John he goes four times a year. He goes for Hanukkah, which isn't even a biblical feast. And, uh, and this rabbi says, um, but you know what that means. And they love to ask you questions that they know you don't know the answer to. And I said, no, why, uh-huh. why don't you tell me? Uh-huh. And he says, it means he spends three months out of every year walking back and forth to Jerusalem, 10 days down, 10 days there, and 10 days back. He does that three and sometimes four times a year. Wow. And I was, I was just gobsmacked. I was flabbergasted. Uh, because I knew a fact, but I didn't know what the fact meant. And so I'm, you know, so why, why does Judas kiss Jesus? Why in the world? Is, I mean, it was a despicable thing to do, and we all hate Judas for doing it. But why does he do it? 
Well, the reason he does it is Jesus looks just like everybody else. He's unrecognizable. He has to be pointed out, right? He's not a foot taller and blue-eyed and auburn-haired and, you know. He looks, <laughs> Wait a minute. Are he, you saying Jesus wasn't white? Yeah, he is a scruffy. He's a, one, of, one of his contemporaries, or, or later, not a contemporary, there was a person who actually hated him who wrote books against him, described him as looking scruffy. Uh, <laughs> I, and, uh, I relate to that. I feel good about yeah. that. So, 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 but that's what I'm doing. I'm going all through his life and looking at all the details, and uh, it's it's really right. I've just spent the last two days looking at all the uh, at the at the what I what I'm calling the the flow of his ministry. That you know, initially he goes and does some synagogue preaching before he even chooses the disciples. Then he chooses them, does a few miracles, and his popularity skyrockets. I mean, he, in Mark, he says, have a boat ready so the people don't push me into the lake, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think at some point, I'm still tracking this. I'm still working on this. But then he starts doing things like um, his standard synagogue. What's his standard synagogue sermon? It's basically that God reaches out to Gentiles before he reaches out to Jews. How do you think that goes over, right? In Nazareth, they want to kill him. They're going to throw him off a cliff. <laughs> I've, I've been to the cliff. I've yeah, been right. to the cliff, right? And uh, in, in the uh, synagogue in Capernaum, he says things like, well, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, which I think might have made some of the people physically sick who were listening to him. And he has this perfect moment to explain himself. And you can see Peter thinking, oh, please, please just. Ex-. And, and at this point, he says, no, my blood is real drink and my flesh is real food. And of course, a lot of the disciples say, well, that's it. I'm out of here. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so as I'm tracking the flow of his ministry, I think that there is a there is an erosion of his popularity so that uh, in M- M- Matthew 17, when they come back uh, to, to Capernaum, it's just he and Peter and nobody's there. There's no crowd there. Uh, just some temple tax collectors. Now, when he when he goes back to Jerusalem for the last time, there's a big crowd with him. So right. that's a problem with my theory, but I'm working on that. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I think you're solid on the theory that Jesus knew how to thin a crowd. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that final entrance into Jerusalem came shortly after he'd done something pretty spectacular in Bethany. Right. When he when he walks into Jerusalem, he's got a dead guy on one side <laughs> and a blind guy on the other side walking with him. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's pretty good. And and for years, guys, I, because I had this theory, I'm thinking in Greek and I'm pr- trying to prove my theory, uh, I was saying, well, you know, that crowd's not really there for Jesus. It's just uh, it's the crowd that's going up for Passover and, you know, the population of Jerusalem goes from 50,000 to 250,000, blah, 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 blah. And I've done a, I've done some homework in the last couple of days. And the truth is there's a big crowd there. They're there for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're trampling on each other. There's so many people. Right. But I, th- I think you've, you're hitting on such an important point of when you watch Jesus life, he gets this arc of people yeah. following him. And then he says, unless you hate your father and your mother and pick up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Next thing, right. nobody's around. Eat my right. flesh, drink my blood. Nobody's around. And it, it comes back to that important, like what, okay, what are we doing as Christians? Because if there was a church pastor's conference in town and Jonah, the racist prophet was preaching at one and he led a revival of, you know, over a hundred thousand people. Yeah. And Jesus or Jeremiah, any anybody who's actually doing the will of the Father, they I, I think I'd go to Jonah's if I'm trying to build a church. And so something must be off with how I understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Yeah, I get I understand. I understand. Mm. Yeah, so I sometimes I still I just still don't get him. I mean, sometimes I look at him and I just don't get you. <laughs> I just don't get you. Why in the world did you do it that way? Don't you know? I mean, you can see the disciples going. Well, I, I like all the all the times that people tell Jesus he shouldn't be doing things. <laughs> he watches Peter's feet, and Peter says, "You know, you really ought not to be doing this." Yeah, you know. And if you think about it, Peter's right. He shouldn't do stuff like that. But then Peter, uh, Jesus says, "If you don't get this, you don't get me." This is who I am. And it uh, goes to John the Baptist and says, but, you know, baptize me. John goes, ah, you know, you ought to be baptizing me. And this, you ought not to do it this way. See, 
I yeah. love that about him. So I, I ask a lot of people this question, and I'm curious for you. It seems like most people gravitate towards one part of the Trinity. Uh, it it kind of goes in an order. So for me, I really love and relate to the Father. Yeah. And Jesus is second, and I don't understand the Spirit at all. But Jesus, I'm mostly confused by, but I'm like, okay, you're my sacred brother and Savior, so you're in there. Holy Spirit, yeah. don't get it. So what's your order in your connection wow. to the triune God? Well, wow, that's a question there, Aaron. Okay. Easy, easy, easy answer. Uh, <laughs> I just I just remember when um, the, in the midst of the Jesus movement, when um, it seemed like there was an, an, an inordinate attention on the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and as when I read and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Jesus guy, right? I read Jesus telling his disciples in John, when I leave, I'll send the spirit and the spirit is basically going to tell you about me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and he breathes on them at one point. I think this is interesting. It says receive the spirit, which mm-hmm. I think is, uh, in one sense for me, this Holy spirit is the breath of Christ. So I, I understand the Holy spirit and God through Christ. He, he's all I got. I mean, um, yeah. I, I love that. I love that God is has revealed Himself as a Father, but um, I still I just don't get a someone who can speak the word the, the, the universe into existence. I mean, I I, I can so, say those words. Yeah. So uh, so you're putting Jesus as first. Well, and Jesus actually says, "If you've seen me, you've seen, seen the Father." Right. right. Yeah. And there's this one, and because you know the Trinitarian, you know, they, they are one. Yeah, and they and but they are three, and I think that your question is of the of the three. What, what I'm saying is, um, I understand the Father through Jesus, and I understand the Holy Spirit through Jesus. He's he's my he's my co- contact point with the divine, <laughs> right? Uh, no, I, otherwise, otherwise, um, I I've, I don't. I just don't have the grace cells for it. So I mean that's. <laughs> yeah. That's really important because for me, what you're talking about, what you're exploring is huge because I believe and feel what you're saying. Yeah. And, and yet Jesus is always this interesting, awesome, mysterious character that I'm like, okay, what? That's so weird. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, and always points away from himself. One of the interesting things about the miracles is, with one exception, they always praise God. When Jesus does a miracle, they praise God. He wins praise for God. I don't know if it's his countenance or, or you know, I'm only saying what the Father told me to say. I'm only doing what I see the Father doing. I don't, I don't know how he does it, but he always wins praise for God. Uh, he always points away from himself. But they and believe then, it, and that's huge, because how many people do something awesome and say, well, to God be the glory. But everyone's yeah. like, yeah, but you're amazing. But when he yeah, says I, that, well, it think, happens. And the, the one exception is when he calms the storm on the Sea of Galilee and the disciples are in the boat and they worship him. I think there's a little, <laughs> a little bit of you know, uh, desperation. We almost died, and they were, you know, they worship him right. for that. But but, uh, but it's amazing that this is the this is the incarnation of the Father. Yeah, and yet the thing that humans fall into the trap on it doesn't happen with him. Nate, I'm curious with you, which which parts? How, what's your order of operation with how you naturally connect? Um. Yeah, I, I would say. <sighs> More and more and more, it's it's uh, yeah. I connect through Jesus, and but what really has helped me was recently being directed, focused on uh, uh, Michael Cusick, uh, in a conversation, a long conversation we had last year, uh, pointed out to me that uh, you know the best way to understand the Father when you're confused is to look at Jesus. Jesus yeah. said, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." Yep. Yeah. So he becomes the Rosetta Stone to understand the confusing parts of the Old Testament and yeah. future fears. Like that's that's the place to go to. For me. Yeah. Well, um, I would like to maybe bring things around to where we kind of started. I want to go back. I'm I'm now I'm fishing for a story. I'm gonna go back to the early days, uh, Michael. Um a contemporary classic in Christian literature uh, 
is Brennan Manning's book, uh, Ragamuffin Gospel, sells mm-hmm. every year. It was huge in my life, and uh, you wrote the forward to that. And yet, uh, and I met Brennan a couple times, heard him speak a couple I'm well aware that he was um, not immune to relapse. He was not a perfect guy. Yeah. But he had a just a deep trust in the Hesed of God. Yeah, he was the most redemptively broken person I think I ever knew. He'd been addicted. <laughs> he'd been addicted to everything. Brendan Manning. A, a lot of people don't realize the, the first book was Lion and Lamb: The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Relentless Tenderness is actually a pretty good translation for Hesed. Yeah. Uh, I read that in college and I started writing it. This is before I'd, uh, you know, made any records or done anything. I was, you know, you weren't, know was. you weren't cool at all yet. No, no, I was not cool. And he wrote back and he always wrote postcards. Uh, after we got to be friends, I'd get postcards from him all the time. I don't know. That was his, that was his thing. I've still got them. I've still got them someplace, a pile of them. Oh my gosh, that's so brilliant! Yeah, you don't have to write that much, but no, it's exactly. incredibly personal. Exactly, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so I, you, you know, you get a postcard from him, and then, then again, we got to be friends. I would, uh, he, when he was living in New Orleans, I'd go down and see him sometimes and spend time with him down there. And then we we were on the road together. I forgot what we were doing, raising money for something. I, I honestly, it was so long ago, I don't remember. But we spent a good good uh, deal of time on the road together, which was also uh, a good thing. But he was the most redemptively broken person I ever knew. And, and you know, when we were on the road together, he, he disappeared a couple times mm-hmm. and uh, he was, he struggled with alcohol. Um, he was just a precious, precious guy. Uh, he died of Parkinson's. Um, wow. But um uh, you know, I just, I remember him saying things, he spoke in quotes, right? God loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Uh, I got that from him. Mm-hmm. Jesus loves you mu- so much, he wants to be married to you. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing about Brennan, uh, he he um, memorized his talks word for word. If you, if you yeah. compare, he's word for word, it's the same talk. He would write them out, he would get it perfect. And then he would do those talks. And yeah. uh, that's one reason that, and I, I don't, I think that's, it's not insincere. That's just how he worked. Right. Uh, he got it perfect. And then he would, uh, he would, he would do it um, again There's, and again. And so. Um, I mean, a lot of people know him from his, his ABBA yeah. book, but I think also his, his words on ruthless trust that it's it's nice to engage in our Christian faith with trust and faith, but yeah. we forget that it's ruthless. Well, and I think in one sense, Brennan's a one-book guy. He he kind of kept writing the same book over and over again. <laughs> yeah. um, and it hey, was, hey it, John Piper, you're not alone. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was healing our image of God. That's what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if anybody knew about the grace of God, it, he was, you know, this, you know, he was a street person at one point. He'd wake up and someone had stolen his shoes or he vomited all over himself. And he was, he had gone, he had sunk about as low as you could sink. Mm. And, uh, and, and Jesus met him there and, uh, and redeemed him. And, and he remained, you know, I wish, I wish I could say, oh, he was, he lived this perfect life and, he lived in power and authority or whatever, but he, he continued to be a very broken, uh, broken man, but he was redemptively broken. But touch yeah. on that. The, isn't that the confusing point that we think, oh, God's supposed to meet us in the gutter, and then we're supposed to live this other— From the guttermost well, to the uttermost. God's supposed to fix us, right? Right. And the thing is, we're not fixable, even by God. That's yeah. why he has yeah. to redeem us. we got to be redeemed, not fixed. I'm right. unfixable. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. Well, yeah. and that's and that's a hard. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge and hard statement to unpack because it yep. doesn't mean that this is the working out of the gospel. The gospel is complete in Christ, not in me. Right. right. And so now I'm trying to experience what is already true in Christ, but that doesn't mean I'm not dead yet. So uh, it's not consummated yet. Yeah, 
that's hard. Yeah. No, G- Jesus doesn't try to fix not a single time that I can think of. Does he, you know, does he say, you know, Peter, you can be sort of an ass. You should stop, you know, saying those kinds of things. He doesn't give advice like that. He, yeah. he, he loves people well, and he opens the door of his life to people and um, speaks these, you know, redemptive and, and and at the same point, same point, he's a servant. He's he's washing their feet. I think that the second miraculous catch of fish in John twenty one, when he makes breakfast for them, I think right. he probably did that every morning. Again, mm-hmm. I have no. I'm, I'm my only reason, my only academic reason is I really want it to be that way. <laughs> that's a, that's a good enough reason for yeah, me. I'll just I'll be honest. I really want it to be that way, but they don't seem to be surprised. Oh, you fixed breakfast. Oh, we can't believe that. No. I think he probably did that most mornings. And I'll tell you another reason why I believe that. I used to, uh, the man who discipled me, Dr. William Lane, who was one of the most Christ-like people I ever knew, when we would go hiking together, he'd always fix breakfast mm. and well, uh, and would take the couch. If we had a, a, like a room, a hotel room with a couch and a bed, guess who slept in the bed? I did. And he'd sleep on the couch. And he was 50 or 40 years older than me. I I think it's reasonable, though, because it's at the beginning of him calling the disciples that he does the whole cast the nets on the other side. And then after his resurrection, you know, we're talking three years later when he calls from the shore and they, Peter immediately goes, it's the Lord. That's John. John sees the net full of fish. Right. John sees the net full of fish and goes, it's the Lord. He doesn't recognize Jesus. Nobody recognizes him. Right. So it seems like, you know what? It maybe happened more than just three years ago. I'm I'm with you. I'm tracking. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, um, and that, that we can't get into that, but that's a other, another whole interesting thing after the resurrection, you know, the, they think he's the gardener or, you know, they walk and talk with him in Emmaus and don't know who he is there. For some reason, he's not immediately recognizable, but when he wants to be recognized, he shows them his scars. He goes, this is, look, it's me. And, uh, I think that's a whole, that's a whole other discussion though. But we yeah. should give ourselves grace for when God's in the middle of stuff in our lives and we don't recognize him. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. He's just the gardener. That's good. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, let's wrap there. I'm, we need to let you get to your French fries. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or the fire extinguisher. I'm not sure which. Yeah, the, the fire company just pulled up. I think, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll be, uh, we'll be on the lookout for the next book. And in the meantime, we are just going to savor this one. Well, thank you. Michael. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time with us. Well, thanks, Nate. Um, I'm I'm one of your biggest fans. You don't you may not know this, but I'm one of your biggest fans. Uh, well, that's uh, I can't even respond. To that. <laughs> so I'll wrap right. that up. Thanks, Mike. We're heading Good. into the next segment. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are back on the Pirate Monk podcast. That Michael card. <laughs> yeah, he's an engaging guy, man. You can just talk with him uh, for hours. Yeah, I want to do like a, an afternoon podcast. Just, you know, let's go up to his little log cabin he built and, and have a four-hour one. 
And yeah, yeah. But, I'll I'll just listen to it. Nobody else has to. Oh, <laughs> uh, I I I do love though the just that desire to connect with the person of Jesus. Like, there's mm. I, I don't think there's anything else that is more transformative than enjoying walking with Jesus. And, yeah. and with all of, you know, I think of friends that have problems with aspects of the Old Testament and God killed whole countries and all the children and their animals and all that, all those issues. Right. Okay. Walk with Jesus for a while. Yeah. Like that's where you're going to find your answers. Yeah. And I, I love that that is his heart and uh, that he puts a lot of time and effort into it, more time and effort than I put into it. So thank you. I'll just read your books. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. So how are All you? All right. Well, it sure has been good to reconnect with you. Yes. I was going to say, I, I feel like we uh, haven't connected in person for a long time. Are you, you doing okay yeah. uh, there as as you're still? Yeah, I, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Yeah, yeah, I'm still in quarantine. I, I don't know whether I, uh, I have said this on the podcast. I did manage to injure myself uh, by bending over. I'm at that age. Uh, actually, I bent over for a very long <laughs> yeah, time. So you pressure were, you were pressure washing watching. a fence for six or five or six hours at a time. But yeah, so I'll, I'll be having surgery in another week. It's, uh, it's only to, a week away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Well, and, they've finally reopened the surgery centers. It is and, and, kind of an urgent surgery, but they, they couldn't get it done because it wasn't an emergency. And they gave you ketamine, which I just talked to a nurse this morning and said, I had a friend that told me he was given ketamine. Is that true? I've never heard of humans. That's just for horses, right? And she <laughs> said, no, no, with the op- opioid issues, they're starting to use ketamine more. So I believe your story. I thought you might have been too high to know what they <laughs> gave you. Yeah. I'm hoping for ketamine again. Uh, I don't think I'm going to get it in this next surgery. But uh, I, I think you have to wear assless chaps and go to Burning Man to get any more <laughs> ketamine. <Yeah. laughs> oh, Mine are that, at the dry cleaners. That, yeah. that just conjured an image that I didn't yeah. need at yeah. all. No, not at all. <laughs> Nor did I. Uh, but Allie's pretty excited about the dry cleaning being <laughs> Just stop. Just stop. Uh, ouch. It hurt yeah. my head. Uh so next week you're gonna you're gonna have that going on. Yeah, yeah. We still we still will be able to do the uh the podcast. The surgery will come post podcast. Uh but yeah. I, I'd like to put in a request for us to do a podcast after you've had ketamine. Or while I'm, yeah, while I'm under the influence? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that would be an interesting podcast. <laughs> I feel like our listeners would be totally for that. That's crazy. A little, little special K for you. Oh, by the way, this is a, for those who have uh, stayed with us all the way to the end of the episode, special treat here. Um, I need to let you know that finally, uh, Samson and the Pirate Monks was published in 2007. Finally. We have uh, produced and released the Audible version on uh, the audio version. It's on Audible. It's on uh, Apple iTunes. That is exciting. If you would send us a nice letter to uh, piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com, I will send you, I have been given a limited number of uh, promo codes that will allow that will allow you to download that audiobook for free. Send us a letter. Uh, and if you do so within the next week, assuming I don't run out of promo codes, I will I'll I'll respond either way. Well, you said uh, they have to send a nice letter. You don't have to send a nice letter. You can send any letter you want about what you're thinking, feeling, want answers to that we certainly aren't qualified to give right does it have to be okay sure send us a threatening letter well no we've had those before we don't (laughs) want any more of those ever again but you know just send us a note and uh we'll we'll chat about what's on your mind 
Okay. And by the way, we had some folks last week sending me songs and uh, albums that I should listen to during my quarantine time. Go ahead and keep sending those. I've been enjoying those. uh, So on Facebook, go ahead. Shoot me some notes. All right. Well, then, I think we've come to the end of our time. I sure have enjoyed it. Uh, Until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arc. Wherever the wind blows, when it blows over the sea. Up to the night